escaping the cave. And I'm getting really sick of guys named Todd. Zilla X-Pod. Todd Zilla X-Pod. Howdy, Toddzilla Files, and welcome to another episode of Escaping the Cave, the Toddzilla X-Pod. Check out uh, escapingthecave.com and Toddzilla X. That's my, that's my old website. ToddzillaX.com, too. Hi there. Independence Day weekend finally done. Hope you had a good one. Do a lot of barbecuing this weekend, did you? Been really warm here in the upper Midwest. I didn't do anything. I didn't even go camping. I said in the last episode I thought I was going to go camping. Didn't go camping. Or was that two episodes ago? Probably two episodes ago. Didn't go camping. I didn't do shit. I didn't do shit. Except read outline podcasts and record these audio masterpieces for you. The loyal Tonzilla file. I did it for you. I didn't celebrate our nation's independence for you. These are the sacrifices that I make for you. Yeah. All right, let's get to today's podcast, shall we? This one, uh, I'm going to pick up talking about definitions again. The Andy Ngow controversy. Talking more, not really about him, but about word hijacking, definition hijacking. How people will take words and redefine them, cleverly redefine them. Twist the definitions in your mind to fit an agenda. Quite a bit more on that. And then I move off and finally bust the cherry on propaganda. Really busted. Sort of threatening you with this for about a month. This is just the tip. And uh, Jacques Ellul is the guy that I'm focusing on primarily, at least at this point. He's got a couple of books that came out in the 1960s. One's called The Technological Society. The other one is called Propaganda. Why am I using books from the 60s? I'll explain that to you. And I would highly recommend that if you have an Amazon account, remember the name Jacques Ellul, E-L-L-U-L. He's a French guy. He's got English translations of his book. And if you've got a few shekels, I would highly suggest picking those two books up and then plan on picking through them. You will not sit down and read these books, I don't think, in one sitting. Maybe you read differently than I do, but... um, their gold, if you want to understand this material. And basically what I'm going to get into today is his outline of three major effects of a propaganda system within a society. And they're creepy. They're prescient. They're apt. Pick an adjective or an adjective. Pick one. It doesn't matter. They're scary, especially considering they were written before most of the technology that we're used to was even a glint in anybody's eye. Talking about moral certitude, the realm of the sacred, partitioning the masses, Hmm. cultivating people for action, psychologically priming them for just non-specific action, just being ready to go at a moment's notice. The outrage mob. Intelligence is a handicap. I'll get into that as well. I also talk about things like communing with the organic dead. That ties into why I'm using this guy, how there's no such thing as uh, collective critical thought. If you're part of a group, if you're part of a collective, critical thought is impossible. Let's get to it. Have you ever really thought about definitions? What words mean? Like in this case, they're trying to frame Andy Bingo as a conservative journalist. Now, conservative, fine. The word in question here that's trying to be redefined and euphemized, not euthanized, euphemized, 
is journalist. It's being used in a very dubious way. Definitions are funny things. Sometimes you have to actually think very hard about the words you're hearing. And quite often, (laughs) the words you're using. I have this friend of mine, this travel buddy of mine that I met. He's dead now. Uh, His name was Andre. You can read about him on my other blog, ToddzillaX.com. Go back to uh, 2009, August. Andre's his name. Or September, rather. Anyway, he would repeat to anyone within earshot, words are important. He really burrowed that into my head in the few days that I hung out with him out in Portland a few years ago. Almost, Almost a decade ago now. And definitions are critical to both communication and, yes, thought itself. Thought. Famously concise and precise writers understood this. Hemingway, Steinbeck, Stephen King, others have warned about letting a random word, an unconscious reflex at best, a cliche at worst, uh, dictate the thought. When they, they frame and they label this guy as a conservative journalist, They're putting the thought into your head that he has some sort of, he's a conservative on one hand, but he has some sort of objective truth-seeking goal in mind as a journalist. That's why it's an oxymoron. You cannot be a conservative journalist. It doesn't work. The definition is wrong. You're using the wrong term. It doesn't make any damn sense. It's like saying puppy cat. And those authors preached about deliberately choosing words that precisely express the thought. It's hard work, man. I mean, Orwell talks about this, I think, in uh, Politics in the English Language. I'll get to that in a minute. He was harping on this stuff, and he's like, you know what, though? Go back and read my stuff. I do it all the time. But he, he admitted to that, and we all do it. But most people don't realize they do it. They don't think about it. And they surely don't think about how the cliché, when it jumps from your mind to your mouth alters the thought that you change what you're thinking to fit the cliche. It happens. Pay attention to that. That can be weaponized, and that's what that's why this is such a big deal because of the implication that Andy Bingo is both conservative and a journalist. That means that they're implying that conservatism is the path to truth. Subconsciously. It should stick out in your head when someone says they're a liberal journalist or an environmental journalist. Yeah, you have an agenda. Therefore, you are, I'm sorry to say it, you are a propagandist. Fine, if you want to say you're engaging in public relations, that's fine. You're doing the same goddamn thing. Literally the same thing. I have a piece I'm going to play for you before long that highlights that. The man who coined the phrase public relations, Edward Bernays, back in the 1920s, did it intentionally because the word propaganda had been soiled by the Germans in World War I. They couldn't call it propaganda anymore because people wouldn't believe it. Because they knew what propaganda was, they needed a new brand. This is Comcast calling itself Xfinity. You got to understand that there's no such thing as a conservative journalist. There is such thing as a conservative writer. Great. You're a propagandist. At your heart and at your soul and at your core, you're propagandizing. 
Anyway, if you're not deliberately choosing the words that precisely express the thought, well, that's going to mean the thought isn't as clear as the writer may think, or the speaker may think. And a re-examination of the sentence, or even the thought, is in order. You need to re- if, you, if you're finding these cliches jumping out of your head, and you're, you're finding your, your train of thought going in another direction, if you don't stop that elephant and rein it back in, you're going to find yourself off in left field someplace. Stop. Make sure you're using the proper phrase. Craft your own words. Craft your own thought. Make the word fit the thought. So you can say what you intend to say. That requires thought. That requires examining what you're actually thinking rather than just letting your mouth run. Believe me, I know all about that. While this affliction is not exclusive to writers, it's not. All you have to do is listen to people when they talk. Listen to the cliches and the prefabricated phraseology spew forth from their lips. It's been sitting there waiting to come out. This prefabricated thought, hijacking cognition, taking them in some different direction, hopefully a lot of times. (laughs) No, it's not exclusive to writers. But I'm going to tell you something, my friends, especially if you're on social media. You are a writer, friend. If you're beating shit into your computer, you're writing. It applies. And propagandists, man, professional ones, good ones, know how to exploit the power of hijacking words. They weaponize these words by twisting traditional, agreed-upon definitions into something fitting their agenda. Conservative journalist. And then they repeat the new version mercilessly. On and on and on. Beat it into your head until the new bastardized definition is burrowed deeply and securely within your skull. And Neil Postman wrote about this in, uh, what's the name of the book? I think it's Conscious, Conscientious, Conscientious, I can't say it. Conscientious, Conscientious, I can't say that word tonight. Sorry, this morning. Too early in the morning for that. Conscientious Objections. <laughs> He's got a quote in there. He who holds the power to divine is our master. He who holds in his mind an alternative definition, or the original one, can never quite be his slave. Let me repeat that for you. He who holds the power to define is our master. He who holds in his mind an alternative definition can never quite be his slave. End quote. This applies not only to words, but also to religion, ideology, media, all over the place. It's all over the world. Definitions. Understanding what they're trying to do when they take a word and redefine it for you. It happens all the time. And quite often it's in euphemistic form too. Liberating the Iraqi people from an evil dictator. Pay attention. It's all over the place. These surrogates that you see on television do this shit all the time. And they do it to invoke a visceral response from you. They want to paint a very clear, emotionally charged picture in your mind. Let me give you a real quick example or two. Children in cages. Are they really in cages? Are they really cages? It's a nice picture they painted in your head. Nobody likes to think about a child in a cage. But you'll jump right the fuck on it if you're an anti-Trump guy or girl. Cages has been hijacked 
for a political propaganda purpose. Concentration camp. That one's all over these days, huh? Is it really a concentration camp? Do you have a definition of a concentration camp in your mind? Are there gas chambers there? Are there ovens there? Are these poor children being worked to death, starved to death? Being held in a work camp someplace? Are bite mocked fry? Is that on the outside of these detention centers down there? Or are you participating in hijacking the definition of concentration camp to serve your political or ideological purposes? Are you becoming an amateur propagandist? Disseminating prepackaged propaganda. Has your opinion been inseminated into your skull? Did you think they were in concentration camps before anyone told you they were concentration camps? Think about that. A month ago, before AOC or whatever the fuck it was, whoever it was, said they were in concentration camps, did you consider those things concentration camps? If not, guess what? you got some semen you need to wipe from the inside of your skull. Words matter. Definitions matter. They mean things. Words mean actual things. Until you get into some fanatical fervor, and then you think you can just change them and use them as... Fascist. That's another good one. How many people are just throwing the word fascist around these days? <laughs> they don't know what it means. Nobody, I've never seen anybody, I swear to God, that can define it. And this definitional confusion, twisting of the word fascist for propaganda purposes, goes back to Orwell in the 1940s, man. He said something to the effect of fascism has come to mean that with which I disagree. They couldn't define it in the 40s, and it was actually around then. I've never found anyone, again, who's able to clearly, succinctly, and definitively define it. Usually, fascism is used as a euphemism for something else. Most often, authoritarian. Nine times out of ten, authoritarian are now racist. Racist and fascist are interchangeable now. We have a word for racist. It's racist. Fascist has become little more than an ambiguous ideological blanket slur whose subjective meaning is supposedly, apparently, it's just determined by the mood and the agenda of the slinger. A little more than a super utility insult. Like fucker. Hey, fucker. You fucker. You're all fuckers. And as with fucker, the literal meaning is pretty much dead. Why, yes, I am a fucker, thank you very much. I like to think I do it quite well. Thank you for pointing out my fuckery. Come on. You gotta pay attention to this stuff, because if you're finding people who are using these words, especially people you agree with, people in your ideological camp and church, if they're using these kinds of words, follow them. They're trying too hard to convince you of something. Why? You have got to ask why. Why are they trying to twist these definitions in your mind? Why are they not using just simple, direct, precise language? Are they trying to trigger your elephant into a post hoc stampede? Get you to the emotive conclusion and then let that elephant rampage forth. Spewing your own propaganda or theirs. Heights Elephant applies in so many different directions, and I'm going to get into... I can't do it, man. I ran too long. Again, i got to wait until the next episode, but I've got 
<laughs> How many pages here? Taken directly from Jacques Ellul. Six pages typed. Sitting right there. And almost all of this will factor in to Heights Elephant. Post hoc rationalization and emotive conclusion and post hoc rationalization mistaken as reason and thought and original opinion. Spreading it. Locking people into moral certitude as they bullshit themselves and everyone else around them to support a cheap, paper-thin, emotive snap conclusion. That is the heart of propaganda. Propaganda is like heroin for Heights Elephant. I'll just give you a quick glimpse of this. Maybe the first line of these sections that I've got here. Little background, he wrote this book in 1964. Why did I go back to 1964? Because Jacques Ellul, when he wrote this, was old at that point. He could remember the time before television. He could remember how people were before these mass media systems and these propaganda delivery devices took hold of us. His filter wasn't scratched by being constantly exposed to propaganda. Is a little more pure to me. It ties into uh, why I'm reading Gustave Le Bon as well. Why am I reading it? Why not something more current? Because you know what? This shit worked. It was the foundation for Hitler's propaganda program, at least as far as dealing with groups and mobs. It worked to horrific results, but it worked. I want to understand why. And of course, that'll lead in different directions, I'm sure. For example... In one of the sections here, he talks about neurosis. Alul does. Now, this is 1964. I think most psychologists or most psychiatrists will tell you that the blanket um, diagnosis of neurosis applies to many, many other different things that most of us have. Most of us are neurotic in one way or another, to some degree or another. He's talking about a real thing, but in that time, in 1964, it was a very simplistic explanation. That's fine. It still applies. Let me give you a, a few hints of this. I'm not going to get to this today. It's too long. His working premise was that in 1964, the real consequences are not discernible because the mechanisms have been operating for too short a time. When the consequences finally appear, we still will not recognize them. We will have been so absorbed and manipulated, rendered so indifferent, oh yeah, that objective knowledge on the score will be impossible. That's why I'm reading this, because I 1,000% agree with that. We have been so absorbed and manipulated, rendered so indifferent, that objective knowledge from today's perspective, examining it from today's perspective alone, will be impossible. We have to get the perspective of people who were not swimming in it 24-7, 365 days a year while they were living in the technological dark ages compared to today. It's exponentially worse. It's so much worse with the internet. I don't know that Jacques Ellul could even comprehend what we're dealing with today. He was talking about radio and TV, over-the-air TV. That's it. And the propaganda systems and, and the manipulations were still powerful then. What are they now? I don't think we can see it. By only basing our evaluations and our observations, our investigations on only information from today. I think it's that pervasive. 
I think it's almost impossible to see this objectively with contemporary eyes. We have to have someone else's perspective from before this. Somebody who understood what people were before electronic media hijacked our brains. Everything I've read from this guy, I've got two of his books. I can only go through like 10 pages at a time. It sends you in 15 different directions because everything applies. You can see the train of, of events from 1964 to now. Neil Postman's the same way if you read his earlier stuff. And these are all older people. These were all people born in the first part of the 20th century. When people were different. When people had not electronically been turned into mutants. So anyway, this is what I've got. The first section here. He says, some effects of propaganda, however, are already clear. He's got three highlighted. The first one says, the critical faculty has been suppressed by the creation of collective passions. Critical thinking has been suppressed by the creation of collective passions. Groupthink. Group emotions feeding off each other. He quotes a guy named Monero, who says, there is no such thing as a collective critical faculty. If you're part of a group, if you're part of a mob, there is no such thing as critical thinking. When you're having a little group think, you know, bashing on the other side, touting your cult's righteousness, you're not thinking critically. It's impossible. Under the same headline, he says, the suppressions of the critical faculty, critical thinking, man's growing incapacity to distinguish truth from falsehood. Oh, God, I love that. Also, uh, inability to distinguish the individual from the collective. Yeah. Inability to distinguish action from talk. That's a big one these days. Uh, reality from statistics and so on. He says, is one of the most evident results of the technical power of propaganda. And he adds ominously. This has to be considered. Human intelligence cannot resist propaganda's manipulation of its subconscious. I've talked about moral certitude. He gets into this. I've got to explain it. He says, A good social conscience appears with the suppression of the critical faculty. I'm going to repeat that. A good social conscience appears with the suppression of critical thinking. When he says a good social conscience... I thought he meant like being a good guy. That's what I thought that meant. That's not what he means. <laughs> he means good social conscience from the narcissistic personal perspective. You think you're a good guy. You think God's on your side. You think you're the noble one. A good social conscience. He continues, and that provides a justification to everybody and gives all men the conviction that their actions are just, good, and in the spirit of truth. <laughs> are you a social justice warrior? <sighs> Provides a justification to everybody and gives all men the conviction that their actions are just, good, and in the spirit of truth. Says that this conviction is stronger because it is collectively shared. Mobs. Groupthink. The individual finds the same conviction in his fellow workers and neighbors and feels himself strengthened in it through the implicit communion of media such as radio. To give you an idea when he was writing this. How, how, how much more intense do you think Twitter and Facebook are than radio? 
There's more to this. Going to save it. He also talks about creating a new sphere of the sacred. Oh, this is good. He uses Monero again. And uh, the quote he uses is, uh, when an entire category of events, beings, and ideas is outside criticism, it constitutes a sacred realm. Think about that. Let me read it again. When an entire category of events, beings, and ideas is outside criticism, hmm, who can't you criticize? What can't you criticize? What can't you even talk about? That is constituting a sacred realm. A new zone of the forbidden is created in the heart of man, but it is artificially induced. When there is propaganda, we are no longer able to evaluate certain questions. This is all over the place. Fields of study are being shut down because it doesn't agree with the orthodoxy. No longer able to evaluate certain questions or even discuss them, a series of protective reflexes organized by the propaganda technique immediately intervenes. Talks about the creation of the masses and the cohesion within (laughs) echo chambers. Cultivating predispositions, priming people for action at a moment's notice. Now specifically, just getting them ready so when you say or when someone says it's time, they will be motivated to act in a certain way, cognitively, even physically. He says the individual, his soul massaged, emptied of his natural tendencies, and thoroughly assimilated into the group, is ready for anything. Propaganda's chief requirement is not so much to be rational, well-grounded, and powerful, as it is to produce individuals especially open to suggestion who can easily be set into motion. Then he talks about what happens when propaganda has become completely fused with the popular mores and has become indispensable to the population. That is where we are. That's the only way that you can monetize propaganda. Think about that. Propaganda has been monetized. They're selling it. Social media influencers, these political people, and their 200,000 followers are out there disseminating propaganda and posting their Patreon accounts to get support. Hey, bingo. Just think of the gravity of that. How profound it is that propaganda has become so indispensable that we pay for it. We demand it. Now, we cannot live without it. There's a reason for that, you see. This is that whole social conscious thing. And this thing, I almost skipped over this. I had to add it before I uh, hit the record button. I didn't read it properly the first time I went through it. I saw it tonight. And I'm like, holy shit. When a good collective social conscience has been created, the individual becomes addicted to it as to a drug. And the propaganda is the main line. Reinforces it. Gives them the hit of righteousness. Moral certitude. God is on my side. This will sound familiar to you. He says the third consequence of technical propaganda manipulation is the creation of an abstract universe. Parallel factual universes. Representing a complete reconstruction of reality in the mind of its citizens. The new universe is a verbal universe. Or, in our case, a textual one with memes (laughs) and deceptive pictures and videos and narratives says that men fashion images of things, events, and people which may not reflect reality, but are truer than reality. Yep. 
These images are based on news items, which, as is the case in much of the world, you're going to love this, are faked. Deceptive. Contrived. Spun. This is so good. It's also indicative of an important element in today's psychology. The disappearance of reality in a world of hallucinations. And this was 1964, man. It says a man will be led to act from real motives that are scientifically directed and increasingly irresistible. He will be brought to sacrifice himself in the real world, but for the sake of the verbal universe, which has been fashioned for him. Hey, this struck him. This, this hit a lull. We must try to grasp the profundity of this upheaval. How profound is that? He acts in a dream. He seeks other ends. Those the incantational magic of propaganda proposes for him, <laughs> then those ends that he will actually attain. The ends he is expected to reach are known only to the manipulators of the mass subconscious and to them alone. And the final point of this, I'm, I'm reading way too much of this. I'm getting into it. I should have just done the bit. Oh, I'll do it again. I'm just skimming over this. You can listen to it again. You'll love it. But he says that uh, at this point, the reader will protest that our analysis may apply to others, but not to him. How many of you out there think that that's the case? Think that it doesn't apply to you? It's just those guys. Raise your hand. One, two, three, four, hundred, two hundred, three hundred. But if he listens regularly to the radio, reads the newspapers, goes to the movies in 1964, the description does fit him. Or if you're on the internet. Where you watch Rachel Meadow or Sean Hannity, it does apply to you and me. He will not be aware of it because the essence of propaganda is to act upon the human subconscious, but to leave them in the illusion of complete freedom. Inseminating your mind without you knowing it. He talks about how... <laughs> People think that democracies in the United States are immune. That's ridiculous. He talks about how when propaganda becomes complex enough and widespread enough, it leads to a two-party system where third parties, minority parties, are squeezed out by money. He talks about this from France in 1964. Does it sound familiar to you? Hmm. You're going to like this. No, you're not. You're going to fucking hate it. Uh, but you're going to like it. I am afraid... To read the rest of this book. I swear to God. I, it, it, it's like the, the, the Le Bon book. It's, you get going on it. You read a little bit. You read a little bit. You read a little bit. And you find yourself wanting to go in 15 different directions. All simultaneously. Because you, it's almost like an octopus coming out of my mind. Connecting here and here and here and here and here and here. You combine that with Postman. You combine it with Orwell. Uh, Nicholas Carr. Man, <laughs> height? There's something here. All of this stuff is connected. I've never seen anybody connect. Height does a little bit. But I don't think he really, I'm not 100% sure he directly connected his elephant to propaganda. To how propaganda targets the elephant. Post hoc reasoning. Rationalization. Creating and manufacturing an emotive conclusion, an emotive inseminated opinion. Crafting it for you, and then triggering the post hoc rationalization to defend it. I have not seen, I don't think I've seen that. And again, Height's book, I haven't quite gotten all the way through. I, I can't. 
I, I start reading a little bit, and I'm like, poof, 15 different directions. I've got to stop. I've got to take notes. I've got to write things down. I've got to connect dots. But it's all there. Again, if you're not aware of this, you are helpless. You're propaganda sock puppet. Unwittingly. You don't even know the hands up your butt. I'm not saying that to be condescending. It, it happens to everybody. It's not an insult. It's not an attack on your intelligence. It's not an indictment of you and your intelligence at all. Everybody is subjected to this. Everybody is susceptible to this. That's why it works. And sometimes the smarter you are, the worse it is because that elephant's also a lot smarter and a lot more clever. You've got to work. Maybe if you're smart, you've got to work a hell of a lot harder. Not to rationalize the emotive conclusions been disseminated into your mind. Think about the ego that you got to fight through to admit that maybe your intelligence and your cleverness, your articulation, your ability to do righteous verbal battle, trial by rhetorical combat, to be the mountain on the rhetorical battlefield. Maybe that's working against you. If you have an authentic thirst, interest, in pursuing objective truth, that can get in your way, I promise you. And how do you get through that? How do you tell yourself that, God damn it, I'm smart. I know I'm smart. And I enjoy doing this. I'm really good at it. But God damn it, I'm wrong. I can tell you this. The best way to do that, don't make the mistake I did. Do it privately. Disconnect. Unplug from everything. Just go away for a while. Turn everything off. Clear your mind of the barrage of data, information, propaganda, all of it. Cut your mind off from it. If you're informed and you've kept up on things, you don't need to be plugged in 24 hours a day. You can figure it all out from there and start to privately and quietly analyze where your mind is. Analyze your intentions, your motivations. Are you really trying to get at the truth? Have you just told yourself you've tried to get at the truth, but are you really showing off and trying to look good? Trying to win? That's hard shit, man. I blame no one for not even wanting to bother to try to dick around with that, because it's humbling. And you're going to get frustrated. It's hard. There's too many things to bring together. I'm not a researcher. I don't have an academic background here. I've only started to tiptoe down this. You know what, I, you know what else I found? This will give you a, a nice little <laughs> nugget for me to go out on. Lipman. I talked about Lipman quite a bit. Uh, people that have lost uh, the ability to distinguish truth from falsehood don't remain free. I love that quote. It's a great quote. Here's the problem. Lipman was, <laughs> it's kind of embarrassing. <sighs> He was actually a uh, disillusioned socialist. He thought that people, and I don't know that I disagree with him, I'm just embarrassed I didn't know this, but he thought that people were so stupid and so unable to see the world and facts as they are that he thought people needed to be propagandized in order to stop from tearing themselves to shreds because they refused to see things as they are. So when he said... <laughs> Uh, people who have lost the ability to tell truth from falsehood don't remain free. He's saying they need somebody to show them. 
I don't know that he's wrong about that. How many times have you said or have we said, why are people so stupid? I've said that a million times in my life. Maybe I'm right. Maybe we are all right about that. Maybe we are really just a fucking stupid collection of apes who have overestimated our intelligence and our ability of perception. If that's the case, if we're right when we say people are stupid, of course we like to imply that everybody but us is stupid. I get that. What does that mean? That means we need handlers. We need informational handlers. Yeah, we probably, if that's the case, if that's the case and we are uninterested in improving the situation, improving our ability to perceive and see the world as it is, with clear eyes, that means we need handlers. We need a minister of truth. We need someone in charge of the daycare so we don't go set the kitchen on fire. Think about that. It's not comfortable. I don't like saying it either. But think about it. If we're uninterested in breaking out of the tribalism, at least the political... I mean, tribalism's always going to be there. We're a tribal species. We're going to congregate. But if we are wholly uninterested, less interested in objective truth than we are in winning the battle of the bullshit minds, what does that say? How can you have any intellectual honesty and say we don't need handlers? You don't want handlers. A baboon doesn't want to be in a fucking cage at the zoo either. You let him out, he's going to get run over by a car, he's going to bite somebody, right? There has to be, at some point, there's going to be a reckoning. It's either going to be in the form of violence, turmoil, tyranny, or mass destruction. You cannot exist as a free people without an interest in compromise, objective truth, and seeing things as they are, because you will tear each other to shreds. There has to be a reckoning at some point. And hopefully, you know, I would like to believe that we can do this voluntarily. Like, hey, you know, hey, we're not so great. Hey, we need to look at this. I've said before, I think on this podcast, that the next evolution isn't going to have anything to do with opposable thumbs. The next step in our evolution is going to be self-awareness. It has to be. The infantile ego, the id, has to move out of early adolescence into adulthood at some point, or we're not going to survive, or we're going to be put in chains. And you know what? I am not 100% sure that we shouldn't be if that's the case. Philosophically, we all want to say, freedom, oh, people should be free. That's from a narcissistic perspective. From a detached perspective, I'm not sure that's the case. Now, you may not submit to that, and I sure as fuck won't either. I'll join you. <laughs> I'm selfish. I like my freedom. I like being able to do what the fuck I want to do, and I'm never going to be the person who submits to that. We'll fight that battle together, brother. Promise. But that's selfish, and that's narcissistic. That's a personal self-interest thing. Objectively, though, from a philosophical higher viewpoint, maybe clear up on the mountaintop up there looking down from above, as objectively as I can, I don't think that's right. If that's the case, if we're not interested 
in seeing things as they are moving forward and evolving as a species. Making it so we don't need or aren't susceptible or maybe getting us to the point where propaganda just doesn't work on us. Advertising doesn't work on us. Or we're not easily bullshitted. We're not easily drunk on our own self-righteousness, our own moral certitude. Simple, fundamental narcissism. We're not there yet. We got a lot. We haven't even begun. If anything, maybe maybe social media, maybe this era. As I said, we are cyberspace monkeys. We don't know what is happening here. We don't know where we're going. We do not know what this is doing to us. But maybe, maybe this is sort of an example or an opportunity for us to see it. Maybe it is stripping the id naked and walking it down the streets of King's Landing, eventually. I don't know. I hope so. I would like to think that we're going to learn from this. I think it was Andrew Sullivan in the uh, Distraction Sickness uh, article who pointed out that we have had technological advances, communication advances, informational progressions, And people have always cried from the mountaintop that it's Armageddon. It's the end of things. Oh, my God, television's going to destroy our minds. And we figured it out. Maybe the Internet, maybe this is doing the same thing. Maybe we're coming to a moment where we realize what this is doing and we can learn from it and adapt and hopefully have enough introspection, objective introspection, be able to see that yeah, we have severe problems of perception. Of seeing things as they really are and seeing ourselves as they really are. I don't know. That was supposed to be quick, and it wasn't. Quick digital detox update. Uh, it's better. Been more to uh, get my mind going, get my writing mind going, but there's been nothing going on it's almost like a like a desert wasteland and uh twitter for the most part has been um basically just podcasts posted a couple of comments up there but it's uh becoming less and less of a factor (sighs) as time goes the fuck on so yeah i don't know what i'm gonna do with this that may just be a podcast on its own i may have to split these up (sighs) anyway Hope you had a great 4th of July. You can also hit up escapingthecave.com. Find me on all the podcatchers on Apple Podcasts as well. And check out the ToddzillaX.com website too. That's where I go to show off what I've done and where I've been. I'm awesome. Love me. Won't you love me? Would you please show me you love me? More podcasts are on the way. I think I have finally broken the cherry on this propaganda stuff. (laughs) You thought that was it, didn't you? Oh, no, that was nothing. Got a lot more coming on that. So thanks for clicking over. We'll talk to you next time. Till then, so long.